<laughs> so are you retired then? No, I teach full time too. So what made you decide to do the health insurance? Um, the market's right for what the product my college friend is um, doing. Hmm. Is it good? It's a really good product, and it's about $150 cheaper per month per employee than what Blue, Pro Blue Cross Blue Shield is offering. I don't understand health insurance in this country. Yeah, Not, not to get crazy. political off of that here, but... Uh... <laughs> Um, so my full-time job, um, we're still a smaller company. And so that's a benefit we haven't brought on yet just because it's expensive. Um, you know, cause we have 15 employees. Um, so I don't have it. Um, it's so like a month ago. I'm like, you know, I really probably need it. And I was like, I think the deadline's passed, but I wasn't real sure. And it had, um, I'm just like, Man, we live in a country where there's two times a year you can get health insurance. Not really affordable, but even then you can't just get it when you need it. Right. And then, you know, tax time, I don't have it, so they're going to fine me for it. <laughs> well, um, so, so back to, and I think I hit record while you were talking about this. You say you're preaching at two churches now? Yes. How long have you been? Uh, I'm a licensed local pastor for the United Methodist Church. Um, I was in full-time ministry in 2013, 2014. Um, planted a church in a church project in West Plains, Missouri, where we did a specific mission outreach coming out of the homeless shelter and the battered women's shelter there in West Plains, Missouri. And so I took two years out of my teaching career to do that. Um, and I know you went to Central Methodist, so is, you know, religion always been an important part of your life? Um, I hate to call it religion, my faith. I'm probably, I'm probably the most anti-church preacher you'll ever meet. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. Well, I, I won't. I won't. Hey, we've, hey, we've already got the two hot button issues out of the way. We've got <laughs> religion and politics out of the way, so we can't go wrong the rest of the night, right? Uh, yeah, I don't I don't know if I want to prod you anymore on that one. That's, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, and I will, um, I, don't, I don't do it as much, um, you know, especially on Twitter, because there's, I, I just see too much of it. And so I try mm -hmm. to keep those two things off there. Although any chance I have to, you know, tweet about certain Missouri politicians, I will. But, but yeah, I, uh, I, I tend to keep that to myself because um, I want people to like me. And I know those hot button issues and, you know, we can't just talk about things anymore. So, well, I mean, that's the thing is people have forgotten that our whole country was always founded off of i'm a government teacher our country was founded off of wide range of ideas and that we are to accept our neighbor you know we respect their opinions patrick henry said it best you know i may not agree with anything you have to say but i will fight to the death for your right to say it and you know it's that means stand by your neighbor whether or not you agree with him or not and you know we yeah we let way too many personal relationships get divided over politics, religion, and whatever else you want to divide the world up on. 
Well, that's interesting. Um, also interesting because when I was growing up, I assumed that every football coach was a gym teacher. And I've the longer I've done this, the more I found out it's I mean, there's a lot of gym, but it's also history. I haven't, I haven't had any science or math teachers yet, but uh, um, the history one's interesting um, because you're a bit older. You've uh, you've seen more of the world. Um, what what has caused in your mind it, this division that we are in or that we've seen over the last uh, six years? Well, I mean. rough economy you know that's not necessarily um for a person that's hard working whether they're a small business owner or whether they are blue collar um the economy is not steady enough for them to truly get ahead and provide the american dream completely in their eyes and so that's what's created further left and further right ideas to come to the forefront i often say um the same forces that created donald trump are the same forces that created the power behind bernie sanders just a further left answer and a further right answer. Um, that means, you know, you still look at it, 70% of Americans are still right there pretty close to the center when they'll just sit mm -hmm. down and talk with each other. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was one of them. I don't <laughs> I don't see myself as a progressive, um, although I, I don't think that's a bad term either. Like, part of me does believe that we should progress in things. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's been, that's been the term used for like the far left, um, which, you know, I'm not really, you know, they're a bit crazy themselves. The same with the far right. Um, and I think as I've watched this over the last, you know, six years, whatever it's been, I think those people are what's really causing the divide because I think, 90% of us are kind of right there in the middle. Um, and then you point to those people and it's like, oh, well, that's the right being crazy or the left or whatever. Um, I don't know. I think we have kind of gotten stuck um, because what we believed and what we go off of from, you know, 250 years ago, a lot of that's good stuff. But like, I think we need to improve on that. Um, but I don't, I don't have those answers on how or, you know, if we ever will. So, <laughs> but, so, um, well, let's, let's circle back to things that, you know, aren't divisive. Um, okay. I, I know when I talked to you, you said you were going to see your mom in Buffalo, which is where you're from, correct? So, I was thinking about this. Has your mom ever left Buffalo? Um, yes. In fact, um, I was born in Trenton, Missouri. I actually went to school at Mercer and Ravana schools. If you know where Ravana, the wide spot on 136, just um, to the east of Princeton. Um, I actually went to school where I was one of 60 kids K-12. Um, and then that school closed in 77. And I went to Mercer for two years. And so um, Steve Richmond, uh, who's the athletic director down at NCMC, um, we were actually in the same classroom at R Ravana. He was in second grade and I was in first grade. We had first, second and third grade in the same classroom. And so, um, you know, we moved in 79. My dad always called it his lottery ticket. He managed to get out before the farm prices hit. He 
He didn't know the farm crisis was coming. Um, he just knew land prices were high. Um, he knew that he could get out of debt by selling land high and buying cheaper land in the south. And so we moved down to Bennett Springs in 79 into that area. And so, um, but mom, um, dad passed away here about three years ago. My mom's been on the farm, you know, since, there, since 1979. Yeah, I, uh, I don't know if I know that area very well. Um, you know, I was born in El Dorado Springs. So kind of in that area. Um, oh, yeah, that's where Camp Galilee is yep. out there. Yep, I know where El Dorado Springs is. So <laughs> you even pronounced it correctly. And uh, what, what was that? Well, I think I it was covered. Minister, I ought to be able to say Galilee correctly. <laughs> no, no, I mean, I mean, the El Dorado part. Um, mm. I have people argue with me. I, I think it's Dorado, and I'm like, no, no. It's El Dorado. Mm. Hey, your hair, anytime you shower there and go home, you have great hair. The mineral water is so good there. It stinks, oh. but it's really good. Oh no, that was the oh, that was the worst part. The worst. <laughs> Although I don't and you know, because my family, we lived, you know, technically it was outside of El Dorado in a big town called Harwood. Um mm-hmm. and that was well water. I mean, it would it would turn the shower like dark red. It was disgusting. Mm-hmm. Um but you know, I, it was always nice to go down there. And, you know, once we moved and got up here to the city, it was always nice to go down there. Um, not sure I would have wanted to live there, but, you know, it was always nice to get out and get in the country a little bit. So, so um, I also read that you were a three-sport athlete in college. Yes. Um, where did, uh, <laughs> where the hell did you find time for that? Well, I mean, there at Central Methodist being a small college, um, you know, the coaches work with each other, um, you know, and especially the football and track program worked very closely together with each other, um, you know, so you'd still have spring ball practice and then um, we would work track workouts or golf rounds um, in around that. And so wasn't like an illustrious first string golfer. I mean, Brad McCarty from Louisiana and all that, those guys carried you know, I was one of the subs under the varsity. I was a JV golfer, um, but, you know, I was good enough to play in a couple matches and, you know, be that sixth or seventh guy and fill out, you know, the varsity roster there. Um, got talked into that by Coach Sherman. Interesting conversation. He asked me how much scholarship money I was getting for track. And um, I told him, and he says, well, how about if I bump that up $500? He says, I'll do that, but you have to go tell Coach Grassdorf you're not doing track anymore. Oh, so you quit track to do golf? Yes. I I don't know anyone who would blame me for that. <laughs> track bore track bores the hell out of me. It's people running well, for fun and. Well, yeah, I threw discus, you know, and so, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's one of those things you have to really enjoy, and, and you have to get people to understand the love of it. And you know, like I said, if you feel know, for a lot of people, it's. You know, our sport, you know, I used to put a track shirt out for my teams because I'm a track coach too as well. And it's just like, you know, our sports fun enjoyment is your sports punishment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, that's that's kind of the issue I've had as I've gotten older um, and out of shape. 
because I'm carrying about 40 extra pounds um, that I didn't have back, you know, when I was active. And part of the problem is the running because it's, you can't really do it for fun anymore. Like football, it just, you, you had to run obviously to get mm-hmm. into shape, but then you stayed that way by getting to play the sport. Um, so you got that cardio and had fun doing it. Now there's not a way to do that. And then add on to that, that, you know, it also hurts. So, <laughs> um, so when did you start playing golf? Um, I picked it up in college, actually. Um, I had golf class with um, Jeff Sherman, the basketball coach who just retired and became the ED there at Central Methodist, and picked it up rather quickly. And, um, you know, he was one of those things he, as he watched me play. And then the next year, he asked me if I'd still been, you know, because I'd go out there at Central Methodist. You had the sand green course. You could go out and play any time if you're. And so Coach Sherman noticed that me and one of my buddies were out there all the time. And we didn't have any money. So that's the way we entertained ourselves, go out to the golf course. And, you know, um, and so he just, you know, like I said, saw that I was playing pretty consistent, you know, fairly solid and figured if I hit the ball every day and did a few, you know, you know, actually got some real coaching. Um, and so, I mean, you can't tell today that I played college golf. Um, you know, I, you know, I, my low round is only an 80. You know, it's not like it was a tremendously great round, but I mean, I figure eight, 80 on 18 is pretty salty for, you know, um, you know, yeah. but, you know, typically I shot 83, 84, you know, like I said, I was six, seven, you know, I was a hacker, um, powered the ball. I mean, it was one of those things. My game was the power game. I could hit long. And um, I guess one of the notorious things is I can, I'm still one of the few people probably in the world that can hit a one iron consistently. So. You know, the irons have never really uh, been my issue. It's always the driver. It, it's gotten to the point where I don't even want to use it. Just prefer leaving it in my bag because well, I got the slice. Even, I don't even put it in my bag. I just set it aside. I don't even take it with me anymore. I, I, I just play irons only. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have a little hybrid. It saves you a bunch of money. You don't have to buy those high dollar drivers. It saves you a bunch of money every year. You don't get tempted to buy the new <laughs> latest and greatest driver. Like it's going to fix my slice. No, I've tried that too many times. Yeah. And golf's that sport where you hit one, maybe you hit two in a row and it's like, Oh, I figured it out. And then next time slices back and it's like, it's amazing that I keep playing the sport actually, because I don't know. I probably hit around a hundred each time. That's probably not, you know, being. That's where I'm at. That's where I'm at now. You know, That's, if I can bring you know. triple digits, you know, yeah. I, I changed my whole philosophy on it. I, I was aggravated with and about quit it all together. And cause I wasn't having fun with it anymore. I remembered what I used to be able to do pretty good and consistently. And, you know, I just sat down. It's like, I'm not, I don't have enough time to be good at it anymore. And so when I, I go out, I make it clear, Hey, you don't want me to play in your tournaments, you know, unless you want easy money, you know, if it's a charity tournament, I'll play along and donate the money. But it's, it, you know, I, I go out now for the friendship and the fellowship of the guys I'm going with and relax a little bit. And I don't, and you know, I want to hit a couple good shots. I kind of go, if I can get, 
10 good shots in a round, you know, between putts and drives. And I'm pretty much a happy camper anymore. You know, I, yeah. I quit putting that pressure on myself knowing that I don't have the time to be good. Yeah. Yeah. Scrambles work too. Yes. You can do one of those. That way you're not, you know, really dragging the team down, but, uh, I don't know. so, um, when did, uh, when did you know you want to be a coach? Seventh grade. Um, my seventh grade history teacher, um, Warren Kennedy, what had, um, Again, had been fired, but it was still coach. It was still teaching social studies and all that. But I remember before he got fired, and um, you know, I always looked up to him. Always had a love of history, and I just knew from seventh grade on I wanted to be a high school history teacher and football coach. Huh. And so I went to well, Central Methodist as a social studies ed major. <laughs> Why history, though? What was it that drew you to that? Um. Well, I think the first part of it was just wars, you know, and little kids and, you know, you play the little army games and you start reading about the wars and then you start reading about the strategies. Um, and so I think that's what initially led to it. Um, now I'm a lot more into deeper into, um, I guess you'd say geopolitics side of it. You know, how did we get brought into war? Um, you know, you know, you look at both all the theories left and right, and they talk about, you know, Vietnam. Was it truly about communism or was it about economy or was it a combination of the two? Um, you know, you look at the different forces. I mean, you know, you look today, how involved should we get in Ukraine? You know, what are, is that worth, you know, is an escalation worth it? You know, when you look back historically speaking, is a war that far away worth getting military lives cost and a deeper entanglement? Um, you know, and so, you know, that's where I guess you'd say my history, you know, has moved to is understanding historically for thousands of years, what has happened in certain regions of the world. And can you cure the ills in the next 10 years? Because they've not been able to settle those ills for the last thousand. And so do we need an entanglement there or do we just need to assist the forces? Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, it's tough. Um, because I believe for a while that America should stay out of things. Um, and then you see the Ukraine thing happen. It's like, there's that part of you that's like, no, we should, we should help. And that's, that's why I'm glad I'm not making those decisions because it's, it really, it almost feels like a no win sometimes. Um, and th that one almost feels different too. Um, because I feel like the last, you know, for most of my life anyways, every war is, while it has something to do with terrorism and also you get that vibe that it has more to do with like oil. And that's why mm -hmm. we're there. Um, this one would have felt more like just helping someone out. And I don't know. I see we keep sending them money. Maybe that helps. Um, I don't know, but yeah, that, that does seem interesting and puts a really a different spin on why things happen. Um, so I can see why that would interest you because to be honest, history for the most part, at least American history, I hate to say this, but it kind of bored me. Like I didn't, mm -hmm. you know, like well, I understand that, it, I but like, 
but I think if that you understood more of why the deeper parts of it, like you said, why these things happened, um, you know, that sounds more interesting than just hearing about, you know, people throwing tea into a harbor. Well, the thing is, is what's so powerful today. I mean, social studies education is probably the, is the most radically changed with the advent of the internet because of the access to information. No longer do we have to give kids memorization, rote memorization. Mm -hmm. And so we can dig into a lot more critical issues because you teach them how to find the facts, you teach them how to verify the facts. And of course, that's a whole different issue with some people, but you teach them processes um, to bring facts to the table, bring facts to the discussion, and then understand, is there a bias left or right you know, is there an agenda to the fact? Because sometimes there are left and right biases that are viable towards the same fact. You know, mm -hmm. you know, and that's the thing is that, you know, you start teaching that issues are gray, not black or white. And so we get into some um, pretty good discussions. Um, you know, we had a very good discussion. We're finishing up World War II. We just finished up World War II. And the question was, should we have dropped the atomic bomb to finish World War II? What was the advantages? What were the advantages perceived from all parties about dropping the atomic bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki? And number one was to completely finish off um, that the vast majority of Japanese then truly were ready because there was a large group that was ready to go ahead and declare peace, but would the civilian population really have accepted it? The second part of it is setting the tone because quickly we knew that we were not going to be allies with the Soviet Union any longer. We already knew that. And so we were setting a tone for the Soviet Union. Don't try to do what Hitler just did. Don't attack us in Germany and try to take the European continent. And we get into that stalemate called the Cold War there. And so, you know, the kids started looking up these facts and then we started having this discussion. Was the cost of human life worth us for the first time in history setting off the first atomic bomb in war and so you know that's that's where we take our discussions a lot more um so and because i teach world i teach history from the standpoint the only reason to study our history is so we don't repeat the same mistakes we repeat the successes of past political decisions and geopolitical decisions and we learn not to repeat for example, why did we rebuild Germany? Why did we rebuild Japan? Well, because we saw by destroying Germany in World War I financially, blaming them for World War I, Adolf Hitler was able to rise to power because of the economic depression that was so horrible in Germany. And he took advantage of that. And you know, then we ended into World War II because we had so decimated World War or Germany after World War I. So we learned that lesson. Now, do you, your interest, is it just, is it worldwide? Are you more of a, you know, American history or what's, what's your, I guess, favorite interest? My favorite nerddom is Civil War. Um, favorite nerddom there is Civil War. Um, but no, I, I, I um, like I said, that's where my depth is really spread more worldwide um, as our American soldiers have. You know, as we have deployed worldwide, as globalization has set in, um, you know, the geopolitical issues, for example, um, Nixon and Clinton, I think in 100 years, 
you know, for all their issues, might be seen as some of the most brilliant statesmen because they created a relationship with China that avoided a third world war. Hopefully our economic relationships, because we're always strained with China, but hopefully mm -hmm. our economic relationship holds us close enough together that we don't break into a world war where we were diametrically opposed as communist and capitalist system. Um, you know, at some point you might see some vindication for Nixon and Clinton on how they treated China. <sighs> See, I think Nixon's the interesting one um, because I think most people would look at Clinton and be like, he, he was a good president. Um, it was, I think a lot of, you know, the negativity with him obviously came from other things. Um, yes. Non-political, but I mean, it, it overwhelms, it overwhelms yeah. his legacy for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, that was my childhood was, you know, grown up with him as president. So, you know, hell, even when I was a teenager, I didn't really pay much attention to politics. Um, you know, I think I was first really inter introduced um, with the whole Gore Bush uh, fiasco. Um, but again, I don't, I saw it came down to a close vote and eventually someone was named president. And then, you know, now people talk about that election being stolen or whatever. I don't know. Um, but you know, looking back, well, um, well, you know, let, let's just go back and ask that. Al Gore graciously stepping aside as a statesman when he could have fought and continued that fight, stepped aside for America to move forward. You know, and yeah. so there's a discussion there when you reach that is that was a level of statesmanship. Well. <laughs> Uh, it may have been better off that he hadn't he not done that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so no, no, it's funny. I, I, I look at Bush and he did a lot of things wrong, but I also look at him and be like, you really seem like a nice guy. Like I, I would sit down and have a beer with you. Um, but no, I don't. I don't think presidency was your thing. <laughs> no. Uh. I tell you what has really interested me as of late, and I bought a book and I haven't really read it. What do you know about the samurai? Um, probably just pretty generic stuff. I've not dug, you know, um, you know that was part of the reason we had dropped the atomic bomb was because of that samurai tradition to where we're going to fight to the death. And in that Japanese culture, there were still a lot of citizens that revered that and was there a point that we needed to drop that bomb to let them know that death was imminent that we had a weapon that could absolutely you were never even going to get close within touching range of us and we were going to be able to you know methodically if we needed to just go city by city from the south to the north and just eliminate your every bit of your population and so um you know, there's a little bit, like I said, that was part of that reason we had to go ahead and do it, even though they said, oh, yeah, they may go ahead and surrender. They're planning to surrender. Would the populace accept the surrender? And so with that affecting the civilian population, I think helped defeat that culture a little bit. The same. I'm interested to hear where you're going with yours, because like I said, I feel like I just have a general knowledge. No, I mean, and like I said, I haven't really dug into it either. Um it, it actually, it's funny. Um, it started with this video game. It's called uh, Ghost of Tsushima. Um, it was just such a, 
it was a beautiful game, well done. You play a samurai, and then you know you kind of learn, you know, a little bit about that tradition. You know, I watched the last samurai, which who knows if that was even close, but it's more of uh, <laughs> it's more of just it, it reminded me a bit of like the Spartans as well. Um, mm-hmm. Not you know you don't know if the way they did things was correct. Um, but I think it was, and, and I think maybe that's, it, I was drawn to that a lot because of, you know, football, like I love football, um, and kind of that, that close knit group. Um, and that's how I feel when you, you know, read about the Spartans or, um, you know, even the samurai and just, uh, what they believed and, you know, no matter what, this is what they were going to do. Um, just, I don't know. It just, it's fascinating to me. Um, now, obviously that, you know, samurai couldn't exist in today's world because, you know, guns versus swords, you're going to lose. <laughs> but, you know, that's, you know, like, I don't have a strong knowledge of it. I just, you know, you know enjoy it um, and find well, it hey, interesting. Let me put a spin on you a little bit because you said it couldn't go on. Um, I think there could be an argument said that the mixed martial arts um, is a continuation a little bit of the warrior culture. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's one of the things as, as outlandish at times as the USC is, it is taking all these different martial arts, all these different codes, warrior codes that, and what people realized was they had to understand more other than just what they were learning from their strict discipline that there were strengths and weaknesses to each one of the disciplines. And so now you have a whole different generation of people that have trained specifically because of an entertainment value, but that comes out of that warrior culture, um, you know, of self-preservation. How do you defend yourself? Mano a mano. Um, and we do it for sport now. Yeah. And I think you, you kind of hit the term I was searching for just that code. Um, now my question uh, for you <laughs> on that would be is it is it better um, or is it kind of the same as what we see today in our modern military um, where you know we have so many soldiers that come out of it with you know PTSD um, things like that um, from what you know was that the you know, would they have the same issue or would, did they have the same issues then? Oh, you know, it, I, I hate um, to call it brainwashing. Horrors of uh, war, but. Um, when you go back and study the horrors of war at every level, um, you know, modern medicine to a certain extent is why we seem to have more PTSD because modern warriors do not die in the numbers that they used to die on the battlefield. Mm -hmm. Our battlefield doctors and nurses do incredible work and save people and get them necessary surgeries. But the fact is what you've always seen in the horror of war, there is no glamorization of war. You know, that's one of the things that we did for years and years, our movies glamorized war culture. You know, we made heroes out of all these warriors and we ignored the fact of what they were dealing with emotionally when they lost best friends and comrades and people that they had close bonds with 
um, you know, I constantly tell my young students, if you've got a grandparent or an uncle that won't talk about Iraq or won't talk about Vietnam, there's a reason. They're saving you from what they have to see in their dreams. And, um, you know, I make a point to, um, I guess, I don't sanitize war, but I also don't watch 45 minutes. But, for example, um, I always show about the first 12 to 17 minutes of Saving Private Ryan where they land on D-Day. Mm-hmm. And I says, how can a person not have PTSD after just one battle? Yeah. Of what you've seen. So, and so, and I says, if you've been in a prolonged conflict, that becomes your daily reality. And what you do for survival at times causes you to question your morals. And so um, I just ask for these kids to have some empathy with a generation that has done something. And that's why we talk about why we strive for peace, why we don't just go all in on Ukraine and get rid of Putin right now. Number one, there's a nuclear issue, but number two, you know, what, what's the human cost, you know, to your society. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, the code, you know, we glamorize that samurai code, but you got to realize when they were disgraced, they killed themselves. Yeah. You know, and so, you know, how many have had PTSD? Cause if you lost, you killed yourself. If you won, you know, yeah, that is the ugly part. <laughs> you know, the code's not perfect, that's for sure. <laughs> I don't know how many people these days be like, oh, I lost that battle. Now I got to shove a sword into myself. Because, <laughs> I mean, you know, it'd be different if you, you were carrying a gun. You know, that's quicker, I guess, if you're even brave enough to do yeah. that. Yeah, shoving a sword, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's also the weird thing about war, too. You know, if we go back, was just the what I didn't understand is why it took people so long to figure out that maybe you shouldn't just march your men right into battle. I, uh, well, again, that goes back to we never really glamorized guerrilla warfare, but guerrilla warfare is what has effectively um, won battles for thousands of years. Um, you had this elite class that thought you had to play by rules and don't get me wrong. And that's what, you know, that's what modern special forces take the best of guerrilla warfare and take the best of strict military training. And these, these groups of men are able to, you know, go down to an army of one and two and three. And at the same time, then immediately combine into a fighting force of 50 or a fighting growth force of a hundred. And then disband again immediately. And that flexibility is what our special forces, um, you know, basically they almost exclusively fight with guerrilla warfare tactics. Um, in fact, that's what Ukraine was trained. They're fighting a guerrilla warfare tactic war. And when you do that, it is next to impossible to really declare a full victory because you might own, you know, this typical land conquering. I mean, to a certain extent, you understand why Putin is raising everything and leveling everything. Because if he doesn't, in order to win, he's going to have pockets that are going to attack him continuously. The only way that he can win that war is to absolutely level it to the ground. And it creates these horrors and it creates public sentiment, you know, worldwide sentiment against him. You know, that this was an unprovoked aggression into Ukraine. Um, And so that 
in the minds of the world does not justify the leveling of civilian populations. How long do they have? Like, how long can they keep this going? The middle from different sides. Um, the optimistic view for Ukraine is the fact that he has already had to pull up reservists and he's having to train reservists to finish them off. And when you're a reservist in Russia, you're not trained like Army Reserve. You know, Army Reserve, they drill once a month, two times a summer. You know, he is pulling people that have not been in the military for nine to 12 years. He's going to put them back into a boot camp. They will not be able to officially enter into the fight for another three to four months. That does probably mean that he's in it for the long term. Um, they have some very big issues with central orders, but if he's if he's in it for the long term, unless we really get more involved or we send a lot more hardware, it's going to be hard for Ukraine to play the long game with Russia. Um, that's where I think you see Zelensky um, by playing the socio-political game very well, may avoid the long game. Um, but if you just talk about out-and-out -out military, um, you're starting to see some of Russian um, everyday people turn against Putin. I mean, mm -hmm. it would not surprise me tomorrow to see an oligarch or somebody like that seize power in Russia and assassinate Putin and declare himself president, you know, martial law, we're going to pull out and reset the Russian government. And, you know, it's another autocrat, but they're not at war and they become popular because they're not at war. They pull out of this unpopular war, they seize power um, and, you know, start doing Russian things another 20, 30 years again. But they seize this opportunity to take power for themselves. I mean, that's one of the most amazing things. I, I personally think part of this push was Putin's getting older and he had this dream of restoring Russian global dominance. And I think he thought, well, I'm getting older. I better try to get it done. It's amazing people with power. <laughs> You can't just I mean, be happy being where you are. You can't be happy with $200 billion in the bank. You have $200 billion in the bank, you yeah. know, on the backs of your people. They, you know, still support you for the most part. And yeah. that's not enough for you. It, it reminds me of, you know, you know, Scarface or like American Gangster where these they get all of this money selling drugs. More money than they could ever spend. And the whole time you're like, hey, just get out. Just get out. Like, <laughs> I, I just, I don't, I guess I just don't understand that, that greed they have for power. Um, well, you know, power corrupts. Power corrupts absolutely. <laughs> you know, an absolute power corrupts. I mean, it's, um, you know, because it, and we know you, you try to teach your football kids, we'll bring it back to some football. There is always an opponent somewhere out there that's better than you on a given night. Mm -hmm. You know, or there might just be better people, period. But I mean, you know, and so that challenge, you know, you're never going to be truly the one. You know, the world is so big and so immense. There's never going to be truly one person to control that, even though, 
you know, you've seen all these people all throughout the histories. Alexander the Great tried to extend an empire. You know, Genghis Khan tried to extend an empire. The English, the English tried to extend an empire and control as much of the world as they can. You can argue at times the American empire tried to expand in the 60s and 70s and 80s. Um, you know, and so, you know, it's just a question of, the world is so big, you would think we'd start learning the history lesson. You're not going to get it done. Yeah. Yeah. How was your first year at uh, North Shelby? Awesome. You know, um, great community. Um, it's one of those things that it's, it's one of the reasons why I, I wanted to go back to a small school. Um, I had such an incredible experience when I coached and taught at Santa Fe down in Waverly. Um, and just that close knit type community, um, where Friday nights still matter to people mm -hmm. that don't have kids in school. Um, you know, I, I started my coaching career there in St. Joe at LeBlanc and you know, the other LeBlanc community was tight knit. Um, in fact, I have the last district title there in 93. I have the last district title at LeBlanc. <laughs> that was my team. And, uh, but you know, you go into the city and, you know, 75% of St. Joe doesn't even know what the name of the high schools are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it's a problem. Um, you know, I mean, at least, you know, when I was in school at Benton, uh, we won a lot. Um, yeah, we won three straight district titles. Um, and, and the South End is a bit different. Um, not to be that guy, but it, it almost feels separate from St. Joe. Um, as someone well, who did the North End will tell you the same thing. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Um, know, and, and like I said, I've got, I mean, you know, um, are you old enough? Did you play for Don Tabor? No, no. Not that old. <laughs> okay, I was going to say, I didn't think so. He's one of my, he was one of my mentors, by the way. Um, tremendous man. Yeah, um, yeah, cause his son, he coached at Benton too, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I think he started two two years after I left. Yeah, um, he also taught at LeBlanc too. Coached at LeBlanc. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think he's there now, isn't he? Isn't he on that staff? Um, I think he's assisting now. You know, dude. Uh, yeah. Not well. You know what? I don't think he's on staff right now. Uh, I don't know. I mean, he might Davis, has, Davis has so many assistant coaches. I can't keep track. <laughs> Yeah, he's like Duty. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I love it. I love that guy. He's how can you not like Duty? Yeah, yeah. He's 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 great. Um well, he's, 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 well, it's just like Don Tabor. I mean, just authentic. I mean, he cares about his players well past the field. And you know, if you played for coach, heck, if I called up Coach Duty, he'd sit down and talk on the phone with me. If I was really struggling, he would get in the car, drive on 36, and come to Macon. If I needed that somebody to talk to, I mean, that's just who those men are. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and that's a rarity in today's world. Yeah. I mean, but I think in today's world too, it's, it's hard to coach um, because you do deal with so many things anymore. Um, you know, parents. You know what the secret to that is? You don't care. <laughs> you have. Well, I mean, but you that's difficult. I mean, 
Small towns can get you out of there. (laughs) Well, don't accept the job if you don't expect to be fired. We've entered into an era of high school athletics where the career coach is probably not going to happen as a head coach Mm -hmm. in a major sport. You know, those tenures just do not happen. And so you're hired to be fired. You have to enter in with that. And so what you do is you walk into a program and you approach it. I'm going to leave this program, whatever that is, on my terms or their terms, in better shape than I took it on. And I'm going to create a culture that those young men that played for me or young women that played for me in different sports have a positive experience and are better individuals and better members of society prepared to handle the struggles of life because of how I tested them in practice and how they learned in competition, how to be a gracious loser and how to be a gracious winner. Um, And so, and, and I think you only get that to a certain extent by being an old grizzled veteran. You learn. That's what what I was going to ask is how much you learned, um, you know, because you coached LeBlanc and Grandview and um, how all that kind of shaped the coach you became. You know, um, I'd say it's cleansing. It's cleansing to go into tough situations. And in, um, you know, it's cleansing for the soul when you don't win a game in a season. Um, you know, I've got a coaching friend that um, confessed to me just here a couple weekends ago that for the first time ever, he says, I walked onto the field and I was coaching in a situation where I genuinely knew we were going to get kicked. And he says, in all his years of experience, he had never had that. He had never coached from that perspective. And he says, it made me a better coach because I had to make the experience still fun for the kids. And he says, I had to genuinely accept the fact that these kids did not have the athletic ability to compete. Mm-hmm. And yet they loved this game dearly. And he says, I had missed that in all those years because I was always in situ- He says, I was always fortunate enough to be in situations where I had enough athletes or I had more athletes and I knew I was going to win or I had a great possibility that if I knew, you know, and he says, and so I think that has built me as a coach. Um, I think it has really helped me in situations where I come in and quickly have to build a team because I want to create a culture of environment that is fun for those kids. But at the same time, I also know what it takes to get deep into the playoffs. I know how hard I have to push them. And so, you know, you can't just line up and threaten kids, you know, they'll walk. They've got too many options, too many choices. But I also think Mm -hmm. that's a great thing because I don't think you need to coach by fear and intimidation. When you teach kids to love the game, um, it's one of the greatest things I learned in ROTC. I would actually kill myself for my DI, my drill instructor. He would smoke us, but he would always tell us why I'm smoking you. You know, he always talked about details matter and things like that. And he just created a pride in us because, you know, he'd be smoking you and then he'd be challenging you. And then he would draw when you'd successfully complete, he says, see, I know you had that in you. And it was just such a way, um, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, that's what I think has also been so impressive about seeing the coaching change from, you know, there was a, several coaches that were creating great cultures, but now you see almost every young coach 
has been learned, taught by somebody that culture is so important and to create an experience. And so I think that's why you see the evolution of the game coming so quickly is yeah. young coaches. And it's so funny because they'd say, oh, they're not respectful of the old veterans. I think they're more respectful and learned the lessons faster than I did as a hardhead. Yeah, I and I, <clears throat> I think what I kind of get what you're uh, saying there as far as you know the building process, which you know, and I look at that as you know from a especially college sports. Um, I've never understood why you'd want the Alabama job or LSU or you know I I th- I don't see, and I understand winning's fun. Don't get me wrong. Everyone loves winning, but the process of building, you know, and, you know, I grew up, you know, with the NCAA football uh, age where you, you started dynasty and you would pick Louisiana Monroe or something like that, because that's the fun is building that program um, and trying to get to the top. Um, so well, it's yeah, a I, sick challenge. I, I've been guilty of that in high school programs. I mean, when I went to Grandview of Hillsboro, I intentionally chose the worst team in the state of Missouri. I had other opportunities, and I did it for the challenge. I was coming back from Marshall, Texas, where we had unlimited budget, unlimited athletes, um, and I just wanted to push myself. How how much have you learned? How good a coach are you? Can you, you know, what can you do in one of the most difficult situations? And um, you know, I know I got coach of the year over here by Chris Dewar and all that. And I thank him for that. And it's a great honor for our program. But I mean, I genuinely look at what coach Vinoy and the culture that he created there at Knox County and, and what he overcame with losing two of his best athletes mm-hmm. and where he took his team and kept his team on track. I mean, a lot of time coaches in situations that finish 500 or a little bit better, or a little bit worse, do the best coaching. Yeah, and if I was to genuinely assess that, he did a whale of a job up there. Yeah, well, and that's you know even even when uh, you know the eight man coaches vote for coach of the year, it's always the guy who wins state. Um, and I, I've never seen it that way. You know, you know what Coach Thacker did a couple years ago with uh, that whole situation was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, like like you said, Coach Benoit. Uh, he was fantastic. Um, I think it's it's too simple, and I think that's the option they go with is well, who had the best record, you know, and not you know not to take anything away from those guys from Coach Magruder the things you did this year, but you know those are those are good situations, you know, but I don't know. That's why I you know that's why I think Devin and I try to do our own thing is because I think the outsiders and the guys who see the entire landscape, you know, had just a better idea um, of what's going on in the state. That's why, you know, we have, we, and I don't do it for the praise. <laughs> no, it, no, it's not. It is nice. It is nice, but well, you know, that's not laws and honors all the time. They always agree with you. Yeah. Come <laughs> on now. <laughs> oh, oh, there are plenty of communities that, uh, do the opposite of you know praising me, but yeah. <laughs> it's always it, it's always the team in purple too. 
<laughs> but uh why, but why yeah, are you talking I mean, about LeBlanc like that? Why are you talking about LeBlanc like that? I mean, I have a special heart for them. Oh, <laughs> you know, I I I love Coach Davis, but I don't know if there's anyone in this world that can get under his skin like I do. I uh, <laughs> we were talking about uh Devin released the rosters for the All Star game, and uh, you know everyone's going you know picking their side, and I was. I just tweeted out there. I, you know, I could never pick a team that is coached by Coach Davis. <laughs> uh, so, and you know, it's fun. I, I think what you know he does what you guys just need to go down to the high ho one night and just iron things out. Uh, I don't know if you'd appreciate this story, but eh, whatever. I, uh, I got a text one Friday night. It was after it was actually after the boys won their district title in basketball. He's like, "Hey, come down." I think it was the high ho, and uh, have a beer on me and Miles. I went down there. At this point, he had forgotten that. I don't even know if he remembered texting me. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, them uh, them little blonde boys. They like to have fun. So great type community. I mean, they, they love that school. Um, you know, I had many fond memories there. Um, I wish I knew a heck of a lot more about football coaching when I was there. Um, you know, I mean, I, I was totally wet behind the ears, 23 and 24 years old. Um, and, you know, but it's one of those things that that community loved on me, you know, and I've still got good friends from that community. It's, it's just a tough situation for them um, because they talked, you know, even last year, they may not be able to stay an eight-man. Um, and, you know, they're a good eight-man team, but you move up to 11-man and they, you just get crushed. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, you know, well, that's the rules, I guess. But state, That's one of the reasons why the state is looking at some of those smaller schools that offer two fall sports for boys that are require lots of boys mm-hmm. is you know that school is trying to field you know two sports that require you know quite a few boys to be on the field at the same time mm-hmm. you know yeah so um i meant to ask what did you uh what did you say at halftime in that worth county game well um Oh, I gave the raw, raw Rudy speech. You know that that's how it goes. I mean, it's what everybody thinks. <laughs> um honestly, I walked in and I says, our mountain just got bigger. And that's that was my first comment. Our mountain just got bigger. You know, um, Worth County took control of that game for the last eight minutes of the second quarter where we had had control of it. And you know, we talked about, you know, we're not gonna there there are no 16 point plays. They're a good enough team. They're probably going to score again, you know, so we have to make every possession count. Um, we got on the board, made a couple blocking tweaks, um, made a couple defensive little tweaks and adjustments, um, you know, but didn't rant and rave, um, walked in and just what I do just about every, you know, they were locked in. Worth County had just gotten an edge. And so, we sat down and talked about how they got that edge. And so he's like, okay, we know that's not, we're not playing up to our capabilities. Let's just simply do that. 
let's go back out here, do what we do from play one. You know, we're not going to try to play sky high. We don't want to play sky. You know, we want to play above our edge, but we don't want to be way up here and go in off those peaks and valleys. And so, I mean, I think my words were simply, hey, the mountain just got bigger. But the only way you climb a mountain is putting one foot in front of the other. Get, you know, make that block, make that first down, get down the field, get in the end zone. You know, shed that block, make that tackle, you know, force, you know, first turnovers, first force punts. You know, we've got to do it because if they score every possession, we don't win that game or we don't get back in that game. And so, you know, I would love to say, oh, I was Newt Rock me up there and they wanted to record that, you know, speech and, you know, <laughs> oh, you know, we'll go to the end of the world for you. And, you know, and, you know, we just talked about just play the game the way you're capable of playing and we'll get back in it. Yeah. And so I guess you'd say it was more of a calming speech. You know, it's like, here's the, re- you know, there are, which you know, I think, I just- think those work. Like, I think that's, like yeah it's great the movies to get you all fired up but i think really in those situations you you know those kids are in shock a little bit i would think um you know because i think the mindset for those watching at halftime were well <laughs> oh, good, good season man. for north shelby it was fun <laughs> but, but you know and i think you just have to i think you did the right thing like you go in there and you're like hey it's not over it's calm down you know, and I think that's probably what it took to get back into that one. And which yeah. I appreciate, you know, the two, my two favorite games last year were probably that. Well, yeah, the state title game was really good too. But, you know, that Stanbury game was a whole lot of fun because while, you know, a 56 54 final is entertaining, um, watching an eight man game where you start with like four straight punts. Really gets me going. I love me some defense. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing is, it wasn't like either offense was stinking. Both defense were just playing incredible football. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that game will always stick in my memory. The Stanbury game, the Worth County game. I mean, but, you know, the Stanbury game, the fact that that's such an anomaly in eight-man football to be a 13-14 slugfest. And, I mean, it was brutal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you know, for us old heads and defensive play, I mean, that was just a. I mean, if you can't appreciate the artwork was that team, you know, in that game, and the artwork that Coach Hilton and the defense that they played, you know, and the heart they showed and their players, I mean, that was truly two warrior classes of teams playing each other to the hilt and bringing the best out of each other. Yeah, and it was just. Um, you know, and the same thing in Worth County. They they made us play at a different level. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was just, you know, stay away from Devin Albertson then. He would have hated it. <laughs> Is he a true football fan then? We'll argue that. Can we pick on Devin here? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. That's, I mean, that's what we're there, here there, for. There are two sides. There are two sides on the field. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I – <laughs> I don't like ugly offense. You know, like you said, it wasn't the really the offenses that weren't. It was just great defense. Um, ugly offense in most scoring games, that's not fun. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> now, I think if you're going to be ugly, though, 
be ugly on defense. Like you don't want to see ugly offense and you know it's 14 13. Like you want great defense. But um in that opening round of districts where um you know like I got the opportunity to see teams that you know most weeks I'm not gonna go see just you know because of how we do things we as you know we appreciate those teams that struggled. Um but you really want to see the better team. So like Stewartsville and Decap was a fantastic game. Not because it was pretty on defense. There was no defense, but it was still fun. So <laughs> well, if you're gonna be bad at defense, be bad. <laughs> yeah. Well, people people ask me, says, what's the difference between coaching eight man eleven man? I says the fact is you have to coach it like basketball. You have to have a basketball mindset. You don't freak out when somebody shoots a free three pointer. You know, you get the ball and you go score your three pointer. You go down the field. And so, um, yeah, I get exactly what you're saying, entertaining. And that's the thing is, is, um, you know, that's why the spread offense is so popular among teams that are not very good because it's no fun slugging your head out and getting three and punt, three and punt, three and punt. You at least create some excitement. You at least create some scoring opportunities in the spread offense because you do get an athlete in space and mistakes happen. And, um, you know, people are like, well, if you just lined up and ran the ball, well, if you had the talent to just line up and run the ball, I'm sure that coach would do it. You know, that's where you get tired of some of these parents. It's like, he has got X number of finite talent. He's got one kid that can run, one kid that can throw. He really doesn't have a big line, but they can pass block a little bit better than they run block. Well, there's no, you know, you're right. He's probably not going to win a state championship with that group of kids. But you know what? If those kids go back to the culture, goes back to that thing, did they have a great experience? Did he teach them life lessons? Did he teach them to use the tools they've been given and try to make the best of it? Yeah. You know, and, and so, yeah, you're right. Those kids in the cabin Stewartsville love to play the game. And granted, it may not have been great defense, <laughs> but like you said, it was entertaining for all people that were there. Mamas got to cheer for their kids. The band got to play. The cheerleaders got to dance. Um, you know, it's a great atmosphere when that happens. Yeah. And so, um, you know, we saw that in a couple of our second halves. And granted, we were playing our JV. But to hear different crowds cheer for their own kids and experience the night and some of these kids at the end of the night have a smile on their face, even though they got beat. I mean, I've been on both sides of it. I mean, my best friend, Pat, one of my best friends, Pat Richard, beat me 70 to nothing one night when I was at Santa Fe and he was at Oric. And he and the, here's the honest <laughs> truth. He could have beat me 200 to nothing. You know, his JV was his two state championship teams. That was his freshman and sophomore class. So when he put them in, it really wasn't that merciful, you know. But, you know, I've been on that other side. Um, and so... You know, I, I understand exactly what you're saying. If you're going to be good, better at one than the other, be better at offense. Yeah. And what I think – Get me wrong. And that's that's where I see, <laughs> But I think that's where I see the best coaching, where I can look at a coach and be like, okay, that's a great coach. Um, because I know that every coach has their scheme and things they like to do. But from what I've seen, the best ones adjust that, you know, you know, slam your head against the wall trying to get your scheme to work. So, so uh, what's next? Is this where the true fun begins for you, North Shelby? Oh, yeah. I mean, we don't replace 
It's just like when I got asked that question this year, how do you replace Jackson Lunsford? You don't. You know, so you just go down that list of 12 seniors. You don't replace them. Yeah. And that's where I create the challenge to the juniors and the sophomores and the freshmen. It's time for you to make your name. It's time for you to become irreplaceable. You know, and the other thing is don't try to be Kale Stoneburner. Don't try to be Justin Lunsford. Don't try to be Noah Greenwell. Be you. Be the best version of you. And I will try to put you in the best situation to make you successful as a team. The only stat I care about is that win. I don't care if I've, I've, I've had quarterbacks throw for almost 3,000 yards, and I've had running backs run for almost 2,000 yards. I've won games both ways. And, that's, and so I'll take, and like I said, it's the challenge, replacing, you know, 14 starting positions and bring them together and get them to work to the highest of their capabilities together with each other. And that, and that is fun. That is the challenge. That's, that's part of the sick side of me. That's part of why I chose to go to the worst program in the state. You know, um, I do have that sick, twisted, demented thing. What, you know, nobody, you know, everybody wants to count us out. Well, let's see what we can do. You know, um, you know, and, and so I will tell you, our kids have been working their tails off in the weight room. They're creating the best versions of who they're going to be. Um, you know, they've been supporting each other. Um, you know, the weight room attendance in the off season has been awesome. You know, we'll see how that transforms. Obviously wins and losses, a lot goes with health. We have to, you know, we got lucky this year. We stayed healthy. You know, we had a couple of dings going into that Worth County game, but I mean, it was just general everyday dings for the most part, but I mean, you know, we stayed healthy. Mm. Um, you know, and so. You know, that's a, you know, so many communities get hard on coaches and they don't realize, you know, that's why I pointed back to Coach Benoit, two of his best athletes, you know, go down. And he, you know, he adjusts, he adapts, he goes and he keeps, you know, keeps on winning. Great job. And so, yeah, I've got a big job ahead of me, but it's the job I signed up for. And, and it's also part of small class football. You understand, and most of these small communities understand, you're going to have, greater better years and lower years mm -hmm. um but my job is to bring the best out of these boys next year and get them to be the best version of who they are and get them into the best situation where they play well with the other seven players on the field with them and we create a situation where um they become a dynamic unit yeah well and you know talking to coach adwell um I couldn't talk to him or interview him without him bringing up the whole, you know, their weight room was everything to them this past mm -hmm. offseason. Or, and that's what he credits for the year they had was getting those. Now, help having an Aiden Gladstone helps, you know, and <laughs> Alex Reinhardt. But, you know, overall, they were just physically better. Um, and I, I know that's a struggle these days, um, you know, because like we talked about earlier is – as a coach, these kids have so many options. Um, so it's not like, you know, even when I was playing football where you lifted weights or you didn't play. Mm -hmm. Not just you, you didn't even get to stay on the sidelines. Like you were off the team. And that's, I think that's difficult these days because most kids be like, well, okay, <laughs> that's fine. Um, so I, 
and I think it all boils down to what you've talked about and, uh, you know, even talking about the history and you know, culture and um, code and things like that. It's building that culture where, you know, lifting weights is just what you do. Um, and you don't have to beg kids to get in the weight room. I mean, I, and I can't take all the credit for that. You know, um, Coach Bass had great numbers in the weight room. I mean, that's one of the things when I closed my talk up at Southeast Iowa with the coaching profession, I says, guys, the reality is, is if you've got beef with another coach, go sit down and have a beer with him and work that out because ultimately we're each other's best friends. Because ultimately on the other side, it goes back to that philosophy. You're hired to be fired. And principals and athletic directors is a rare person would ever put their job on the line for you when the community gets them against you. And so, you know, um, you know, ultimately we have to understand we're in a brotherhood and yeah, we're competitive. And when we step on that field, we want to beat each other's brains out. And when we step off the field as head coaches, we've got to be each other's friends and have each other's backs. Cause ultimately we're the only ones that know what's going on and have an idea of how the struggles are. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I guess that's one of the lessons I try to teach the younger coaches, um, that there's truly a brotherhood among the job that we're doing because at times it can be a lonely job. I mean, those coaches, a lot of times are in small towns out there. They're not from that small town. They don't know a lot of people and they're busting their butts doing everything they can. And they're taking fire from all different directions because grandma wants to see this kid play. And this person wants to see their son throw 50 touchdowns and, or this kid carry the ball 400 times, you know? Um, And so, you know, you have these unique challenges. Um, and that's why I, you know, I preach culture because, you know, we is so much more important than me. And until a kid understands that, um, that's why I tell kids from day one, they're like, uh, how many yards, you know, you know, you never get that. How many yards do you think I had tonight? I don't care. We got to win. Coach, you're going to put stats up? No. You know what? <laughs> The newspaper put that stat up for us. It's a win, you know. And so, you know, I downplay that individual side of it. And, you know, I know stats are a necessary evil. Um, but yes, I, I, I appreciate stats from you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, I get your point. Yeah. I get you know, your point. You know, we, we get up, we get so caught up in this um, me, 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 me. And I think that's one of the greatest things about team sports is the fact that you learn to sacrifice. And that's such a lesson to become a parent because a good dad learns that you have to sacrifice in order to be a great parent, a great provider for your household. And it's not all about you. There are times that, yeah, you'd like to go step out on the golf course, but now you got a two-year-old. It's just like when we started this, you know, that was more pressing than this side hustle. Yeah. And it should be. You know, it should be your family. You know, you're not replaceable in your family. You know, mm. I'm replaceable as a coach. Depends depends on the day. You can ask my wife. She may give you a different answer. <laughs> ask your two-year-old if you're replaceable or not. Yeah. You know, yeah. and so, you know, that's one oh. of those things that, you know, people, we pour our lives into this. But, I, you know. Um, 
we have our as coaches we have to keep that in focus too we have duties as men in our families um that are bigger responsibility yeah than what our professions are i think that's that's a challenge i mean just in life in general um because most friday nights you know i'm going to eight man games or whatever and that's something i'm doing for free um mm-hmm. and it's it's because I mean, you don't get paid the big bucks <laughs> uh it depends it might if be it's the only in... profession that pays worse than coaching <laughs> well you know if it's outside of northwest missouri yes if i'm driving to uh lockwood on a thursday night that's that's <laughs> that's for free but you know it's yes it's because you want because you know back to the kids it's i didn't stress about many things until i had children and then it's a constant stress over one their health their you know uh making sure they're taken care of but then also yourself because you want to be there for them um those things i never you know, dealt with before then um but then you know i think what i do for the eight man community is you know, it benefits uh, 40 kids a week, whatever it may be. Uh, it gives them it's joy. More than it's, that. it's a lot more than that. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I know that the community appreciates, um, you know, what we do. Um, you know, I, I see the numbers when I do my weekly writing. I get, you know, 2,000 people. Um, and that's that's what keeps me going. It's not, well, shit, I should be getting paid for this. No, I mean, I... I love it. I, I know that I'm helping, you know, that's how this all started was giving back to a community that wasn't really getting any recognition. Um, so that's, that's the balancing act you have as a, you know, a parent um, where you want to be there for your kids, but you also, you know, have all these other kids throughout the state that, you know, deserve some attention too. Um, and so that's, that's why I do it. It's, it's like coaching. You don't you don't do it to get rich. Definitely not. Yeah. Well, uh, this summer let's uh well, let's play some golf or something. What? Well, we'll have to hack. I don't know if you can call what I do anymore golfing. It'll have to be called hacking. <laughs> but I'll enjoy doing it. Yes, I'll definitely enjoy your company, and I'll definitely enjoy trying to sink a couple long putts yeah, because yeah, I won't be close to the pin, so I have to sink long putts. Yeah, we can talk more politics and religion. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, Coach, I, I appreciate this. It was uh, it was great talking to you. No problem. I appreciate, like I said, I appreciate all you do for the community, whether we agree with you or not. I mean, that's 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 the thing that we have to get back to in America is respect that people are going to have different opinions, and we love on them anyway. Yeah, little blonde. <laughs> I told you, just. Am I going to have to come mediate that? And Coach Judy, can I going to, have to sit down with you too and just mediate that? No, no. Out? See, I don't. I don't think it's me so much. Um, it was funny. It was after. Uh, oh, it was the blonde in Northland, um, and it was Dudik's wife, who I found out is probably more terrifying than he is. Like, obviously, he is a kind human being, but also someone that could probably scare the shit out of you if, when he wants to 
oh, his wife was yelling and screaming about, you know, Devin and whatever he said on his podcast. <laughs> it's only it's only Davis and uh, Landon Gardner that uh, I like to poke fun at, so. No, like I said, I, I truly appreciate the opportunity to speak with you tonight. I really enjoyed it. And like I said, I appreciate everything you do for the eight-man community. Well, well, we'll keep doing it as long as they let me. <laughs> Maybe you'll finally make a road trip over to uh, North Shelby when I, you know, this next year. Whoa, yeah, whoa, so I was, I, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's see. Hey, okay, you've been there before. Been. I know. But hey, you've not been there when I was there until we were playing the playoffs. You know, it's one of the only shows in town. <laughs> well, it was, oh, holy cow, that was a summer. Two summers ago, I made it my mission to visit every camp. And I think I made thirty of the thirty-four. So it was I don't know, that was fun, uh, and I did make it to North Shelby, um, and I that's it's actually where I became the uh, a fan of the Raiders was uh, that year because uh, you know, Kale's fun, you know, Lunsford's are fun. So well, there there are so many good kids and good families there. It, it, like I said it's been an awesome experience. Um, it's where I'm going to finish my career, you know, and so I just absolutely love it there and love the eight man game. It's exactly what I needed after 29 years of coaching. And so, um, the challenge and the gray matter and make me learn new things again, um, has reinvigorated me and I'm going to finish strong. So, How many years you got left? Three. That's it. You can be able to That's hang it up after that. His wife around. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? There, there's a couple other coaches that told me that uh, they had a mark set. And once that they hit that, they were done. I, I don't ever believe them um, until mm-hmm. they actually do it. I, I, I will step out, I believe, for at least a year. Um, I'll call it a sabbatical. Um, you know, I've driven and I, I mean, I, I just have worked and worked and worked and worked and I want to reap some of the rewards of that. I, I want to be a world traveler, that world history nerd. I want to go down the Rhine River, you know, and see the castles in Europe. You know, I want to go walk on the Great Wall. Um, so that'll be in my retirement plans. But I've also one of my bucket list goals is I'm going to coach a football game when I'm 100 years old. I won't be a head coach. But I am going to coach a football game when I'm 100 years old. Eddie Russell at Tipton High School was coaching and whipped my butt at 84 years old. I was defensive coordinator at Santa Fe. And at 84 years old, that old cat just (laughs) ran me up and down the field. And so I Uh, set a bucket list goal. If he can do it to 84, I can do it to 100. uh, Well, you got to have goals. That's why, you know, if you – I look at, you know, Bobby Bowden and Joe Paterno, although his was a little more. Eh. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, those old, old guys that you kind of feels like they're just going to do it until, you know, it's mm-hmm. time for the next life. <laughs> well, I didn't say I was going to be a head coach. I'm definitely going to teach till I'm that age. So you're going to be yeah. Dudick is what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I mean, I don't, I really, I mean, that's why I jokingly tell people, I really don't hunt fish or golf. I coach football. That is my hobby. That's like, when I walk out, might've had a bad day in the classroom. When I walk out onto the practice field, that's me going to my golf course. So that's me going to my deer stand. That's where I'm at my most comfortable is out there on that practice field. That's where I get my Zen and I come out charged after practice every day. Those boys energize me and I just love the process. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I get it. Even then, you know, I'm not quite your age yet, but you know, being around young people and <laughs> yeah, that energy is fun. So I get it. Yeah. I, I'm going to be like duty. Can't just, it's in the blood. 